I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. We just wrapped up a really amazing interview. I'm not saying we're amazing. I'm saying our guest was amazing. Well, we are amazing. Well, yes, but she really blew me away with Brianne Dick of MNIB Consulting, which stands for, as we just learned, my name is Brianne Consulting, which she started back in the day before she even knew what she was doing. She started in 1999. So this is, she is a pioneer in the business consulting and online space. This is 1990. Oh, 1990. Yeah. Oh, wow. Even. Yeah. And she was helping as a boutique consultancy, helping online training businesses craft better learning experiences. She comes from the world of higher education. So super interesting research there that you'll hear her work with clients, including Chris Gillibo and Tara McMullen, who formerly was Tara Gentili, led to the publication of her bestselling book, Beyond Satisfaction. So then she works with companies around operations, finance, team building, business development, adult learning, and product development. And they, she and her partner, Jill, have helped hundreds of entrepreneurs structure their businesses for dramatic yet sustainable scale. And Mm -hmm. you know that Mike and I are all about sustainability and making a life, not just a living. Right. So the way this episode came about is a little while ago, I wrote into a Facebook group that I'm a part of that Brianne's also part of that's like high six and seven figure business owners. And I said, you know, what are you guys or you people, you folks experiencing with open rates, click rates, webinar attendance, things like that are what's what are the trends out there? And she wrote in a very insightful response, a very generous response about the way that the tide is turning in the online business world, because and she'll talk about this right at the beginning, but because the promise of lifestyle freedom and more income and more impact has led to leaning on disconnection through automation in the online space. And that this disconnection, this rampant disconnection that's sort of lauded as the ideal has begun to lead to decreases in sales and decrease in engagement. And I thought it was so insightful and fascinating. And it's been something Mike and I have been thinking about in our company. How can we continue to stay connected with our people and how can we be of utmost service? So of course we asked her to come have the conversation on the Mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah, it was a fantastic podcast. And she also talked about the difference between It's like getting your clients results and I'll just leave it at that because she's going to explain it. It's phenomenal. But I will say this about that part, the piece about how to get your clients, customers results, as opposed to just satisfaction, Mm -hmm. the difference between satisfaction and results, this conversation that we just had is going to change the way I create all of my content from here on forward. Like this was a game changing conversation that I'm so grateful that we just had. So I know it'll be a game-changing conversation for you as well. So enjoy the episode. Enjoy. Hello, Brianne. Thank you for being here. I am so excited. You know, the 30 seconds we were just talking about what we're going to talk about. I mean, everyone who's listening is going to have just such an amazing conversation to listen in on. I can tell already. (laughs) I'm so glad. So you have always been incredibly generous. We're in this Facebook group together. And I remember... Several years ago, I was reading Ryan Levesque's book, Ask, and I couldn't figure out his spreadsheets. And you immediately just, you were willing to just go back and forth with me in Messenger and help me figure out Excel, which was incredibly generous of you. And I just want to say thank you one more time. And I am still using the bucketing from that deep dive survey. So that's awesome. And just, I see your responses to people's quandaries and I see that you are Obviously, you're working with clients every day as a business, as a consultant, business consultant. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, it's really hard to put us into a box. There's a little bit of mentorship. There's a little bit of coaching. There's a little bit of consulting. There's advising. We're, we're just the people you go to when you want to, you know, build a six-star at a five-star change-making company. Let's just put it that way. I love that. That's great. And so your generosity just shines through. So I just want to say thank you for that. And obviously, your methods are grounded in 
profound care for human be- for humanity, human beings, probably the earth as well, but um, <laughs> I would imagine. So, so you were telling us before we recorded, just like, can you talk about the foundations of online entrepreneurship and where things were at, let's say in 2008, I, 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. like two, yeah. 10 years ago when I, I feel like that was the not the first first, but that was kind of like the second first wave sort of. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was the wave at which the first wave had kind of figured some stuff out. And so then it was like, let's start taking this message to more people. I, I remember. I mean, I don't know if it was exactly 2008, but that's really when my attention started to be captivated by online entrepreneurship. Ramit Sethi and Chris Gillibo, kind of, you know, those, those people, I was reading their stuff all the time. And what was so captivating about the message that was being put out at the time was a message of, you know, make money from anywhere, be your own boss, you know, have, have the freedom to do what you love and work from anywhere and those things. And to be able to make good money by, you know, doing what you love and and serving people and having an impact on people's lives. And for someone like me who was working in higher education, uh, you know, very much like a, a corporate type of situation, that just like was, was water to someone who was in the middle of the desert, right? I don't have to deal with red tape all the time. I can, I can make money and make a difference and, and do what I love and have freedom and all these things. And when I look at where online entrepreneurship really started from, that has been the message really of the last 10 years. And that's been the calling card of what building an online business and what online entrepreneurship has been all about. Yeah. And then, so our conversation, the reason we're even having this conversation is it's spawned from this thread in this Facebook group we're part of with a bunch of entrepreneurs who've been at it for a while about that some of the old ways of doing internet marketing are no longer working or they're kind of working. They're just not working as well as they used to. I feel like when, when I got started, it was a little bit like... I mean, I hate this expression, but it was, what's that expression about fish in a barrel? Yeah, like shooting, shooting fish, fish in a barrel. In a barrel. Yeah. Terrible. But anyway, that's a little bit how it felt. It was just like, oh my gosh, I just do these emails and offer this thing and then people sign up and look at this so cool. And it's just not like that anymore. And so for yeah. No, we had Derek Helper yes. from Social Triggers on our podcast and he talked about, talked I about mean, he just quit, thing. right? He just stopped making online yep. products. And he talked about this exact same thing that nobody's talking about the drop in numbers and the figures. And I also look at it as like, okay, well that's fine, but there's a, then maybe we're doing it the wrong way. Well, exactly. So, yeah. And so that's the conversation. And so you had some excellent insight as to the shift and sort of the promise that was being made Mm -hmm. since 2008 and then the problem with that promise. So can you dive into the problem with the promise? Yeah, definitely. Well, let's just, I mean, this is the way my brain works, right? Is I see how things are and I extrapolate it out. I say, if we continue to go down this path, where does it lead us? And so let's go through that little thought experiment. If the message is, more money for yourself, more freedom for yourself, more, you know, do what you love and have a bigger impact along the way, which, I mean, I love that. There's a reason I got into this business, right? There is nothing wrong with that message. But if we continue to take that message and just kind of beat that same drum and pound on it, and we never go beyond it, what it leads to is a very me-centered way of building a business. Because even the impact thing, which we say like, oh, I'm going to make an impact on more people. It's like, it's my impact. It's doing more of what I love. Right. And what that leads us to is a glorification of a lifestyle and a business that supports a lifestyle of disconnection, because it becomes about how can I make more money for myself And what's the easiest way to do that, right? That's the whole passive income thing, which fortunately I think we're hearing less and less of in terms of that being held up as the holy grail. But just because we're hearing less of it doesn't mean that's not still the underlying message, which is disconnect from your business, disconnect from your clients, disconnect from everything, because that's how you're going to get more money because you're only one person. Therefore, the only way to leverage, quote unquote, is to disconnect and you can 
sell more, the story goes, if you're disconnected because you don't have to put as much of your personal time in. That goes to the freedom value. You can focus on just the, the pieces that you love. Don't get me wrong. I am all about doing only those things that you love and being in your zone of genius and like constantly refining down what actually is my zone of genius. But when we put those things in a context of, okay, we're going to do that and we're going to do those things by stepping back from our business and stepping back from our clients and disconnecting ourselves from them. That's where, as we were just saying, that's the cost. The cost of that is that we start to see the sales drop off because in the early days, automation was being done in service of connection. Mm. And now automation is being held up as the Holy grail of here's how to disconnect from everyone and everything around you so that you can have more money so that you can have more income and so that you can have the impact quote unquote, I'm going to use that term loosely because it's, it's a different form of impact, but you're still, you know, you're, you're choosing a path of disconnection to do that. And People are wising up to that now. People are catching on to the fact that, you know, you're going to go into a program. There's going to be thousands of people enrolling in it. And the completion rate is 3%. Are you going to be one of the three out of a hundred? Are you going to be one of the 97 out of hundred? And so part of the sales challenge comes in because we as an industry have said, this is the way to grow an online business is through automation and delegation and cutting yourself off and putting yourself on a beach somewhere and not checking your email and, and all of those kind of things, which by the way, never actually works out. You never actually fully disconnect in that world. That's the work that we do with our clients. And the cost of it is that because you're losing that human connection, you're not actually seeing the person in front of you, the people in front of you, I and mean, what is sales if not an extent? What is the oldest rule of sales? No like and trust. Mm-hmm. You can't have someone no like and trust you if you're not there in some form, or if someone representing your your business, your brand, your company isn't there for them to create a human to human no like and trust relationship with. Yeah, we paid a lot of money to go work with somebody for a day, which was an incredibly powerful experience. And well, I've talked about it before with our friend Stu McLaren, and he and I were kind of talking about me as, you know, part of our brand and, and like how I like to do things. And I was having all of this, it's really points so well, because this is a great example. I was having all this kind of feeling of that. I really love, I love meeting people. I'm a total extrovert. Like I just, I love meeting people. I love connecting with people. I love being in the comments. I love getting to know our customers. I love the whole thing. I'm completely lit up by all of it. The interaction part. And I was feeling like because some of the people I followed online as mentors who I actually knew or mentors from afar who I didn't actually knew because they didn't do that in my head, I had categorized those things that I loved so much as a waste of time. And not all of the connection things, but specifically like being in the comments on social media or connecting in that way. And he was very astute to remind me that if that's what I love to do, that's what I need to be doing. And that that would set our brand apart because the connection is what people are craving. And that was a couple of years ago. And I'm so glad we had had that conversation because it really opened up the floodgates for me to realize if this is my joy and if this is what feels good, then it's more than okay to do that. Not only from a, this feels good perspective, but also from a business strategy perspective. So now when you see people having, okay, let's say you do have somebody joins your email list and you do have a nurturing sequence and they're, you know, hearing from you about various and sundry things that will help them. And you have a couple, you have some pieces of automation. Are you saying that what we need to do now is get rid of any automation or what's the balance and how do you see that working for people right now? Yeah. uh, Oh God, no, is my first kind of initial response. Are we saying get rid of it? No. What I'm suggesting is that let's consider automation to be one tool in our toolbox not the only tool. Because what's the saying? If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If the only tool that we're going to go back to is automation, then we're going to just be hammering those nails, hammering screws, hammering staples, hammering all these things that really would be best done with other tools. And so, you know, a lot of the questions here for me comes into what actually does the business itself 
need. Not so much what do I as a person want, although that's very important. But, you know, there's a point when you're growing your business that your, your business actually becomes its own thing, right? It becomes an entity that is, it's not you. It's, it's this separate thing and it starts to take on its own identity. And the question then is, what does my business need? Well, the business might need a way to connect with more people than what it is currently able to, because I have been the bottleneck in the ability to connect with people. So then we can ask, well, you know, in alignment with my, you know, with, with the values, with what's important to me, with our business model, with how we like to connect with people, how I like to connect with people, what my zone of genius is, how is the best way to increase that capacity? For some businesses, going to a highly automated route makes a lot of sense. For other businesses, hiring people who can represent the business and make those human to human connections make a lot of sense. So in our work, for example, we probably are about 50, 50 in our clients in terms of those who go with maybe a more high volume approach. So courses, membership sites, that sort of thing, and half who are more of the high touch side of things. So coaching, consulting agencies, service providers, that kind of thing. And one of the things that's really important is to recognize that where and how you use automation in a high touch business is going to be different than where and how you use automation in a high volume business. And understanding what the business itself is asking for and what problem you're actually trying to solve by bringing in automation is the kind of first place to start before we just jump in to say, oh, automate everything or automate nothing. And it's something that you, you need to learn as a business owner to step back and filter these inputs that you're getting. And rather than just saying, oh, so-and-so says the, you know, this, so-and-so does that, I bought this course and they say to do this, whatever it happens to be. Even, you know, I, I hired this mentor and I spent a lot of money with this mentor and they say what it is. There's a translation process that has to happen. You can hear something and then it needs to be translated through to filter in to say, for me and my business, how does this apply? Because the how is going to be distinct from the what. The what will be, yes, I need to make some changes to create capacity in whatever area I'm currently limited in. And the how you do that is going to be different depending on, like I said, who you are, what your business wants to be, what your business model is, how you want to connect, how you want your business to connect, who your customers are, what your values are. There's so many things that come into this consideration the beauty of that is as you grow as a business owner and as you grow as an entrepreneur, whether that's as the CEO of your business or, you know, maybe you're not the CEO, what that becomes is it, the better you can become at infusing and embedding the answers to those questions into the very, I call it the DNA of the business itself. The business itself starts to have its own character. It starts to, t- you know, it's like going to another person and asking another person what makes sense for you. The business can answer that because it takes on its own identity. It has its own DNA. It's coming out from the business itself rather than you having to force decisions that may not make sense for it. Hmm. Yeah, that's very important. When do you see... Cause this is a growth process, right? So absolutely. Like if I start a business today, I don't know the difference between myself and the company. Right. But like, no. you know, so where, how does that evolve? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And people who know me well would not be surprised to hear that my answer is going to start with it depends, Yeah, <laughs> but generally what we see, because in large part, that's the journey that we work. When, when clients start with us, that's often where they come to us is at this point of feeling like they have taken their business as far as they can being the business. And so often what that looks like is um, some stress points in terms of for some people, it's, you know, they've done all the pricing work, the business model is is solid, and they are at their capacity in terms of how much more they can support their clients in the way that they want to be supporting them. For other people, it might be that they start to see a really, really dramatic uh, revenue roller coaster. So, you know, the months when they're selling are 20, 30, $50,000 months. 
and then they go into delivery mode and they stop selling. And so then they go down to zero, five, ten thousand dollar months, right? And you get on this roller coaster because you're constantly having to shift focuses and put on different hats in the business. So those are the places that we start to see these things coming up for our, you know, kind of benchmarking because revenue numbers aren't the answer to everything, but they kind of mm-hmm. give some good benchmarks. The earliest we really see this happening truly is usually around a $200,000 to $300,000 year. Before that point, most of those problems can be solved through business model or sales and marketing, just getting those things going. They're just not solid enough. But if you can get to two hundred to $300,000, then we start to get into this question of, okay, I can't be the business on my own anymore. That's especially true of those high touch businesses that we were talking about. A high volume business might be able to get closer to that magical, and I use that word in air quotes, seven figure mark, because it's, it is just a number. It's not magical, um, although it does have some magical properties. You, but, uh, you know, I know business owners who can, who have, and some of our clients have got to a million dollars annual revenue with a high volume business. So, you know, a membership site, thinking of one of our clients in particular, and it was really around the seven or $800,000 mark that she started to really feel as though the company was, was outgrowing and outstripping her ability to be the carrier forward of it. And so it's at that point, And like I said, it's going to be different for everyone, but it's usually in that spectrum of 20,000 to $80,000 a month that you're going to find yourself feeling like this tension where the question is, am I going to continue to grow and how? And at that point, really, there's three options, two options that are very common, one that is less common. The first option when you hit that point is reinvention. So this is the point at which we, we subconsciously say, I don't really want to learn to solve new problems. I don't really want to learn how to you know, grow my business beyond what I can do as myself being the business. So I'm going to reinvent. I'm going to go and try a different business model. I'm going to go, uh, we often see this with service providers who hit two or $300,000 and they're like, I think I'm going to do courses now because they don't want to learn how to build a team or how to, you know, engage with clients in a different way without them being the service provider. So that's kind of the first thing we see, or you'll see on the high volume side, you'll people get to kind of a million dollars and they, then they just kind of keep churning out new products. And so they're always reinventing themselves to grow revenue, you know, they're splitting their focus, but that's where the highly automated disconnection thing that we were talking about earlier comes yeah. in. Let's say you're somebody who is just starting out or thinking about starting out in business and you're not exactly sure what you're going to do, but like you have some ideas. And you look out at the marketplace and, you know, here we are having this conversation about the fact that it has gotten very noisy and it's harder and harder to stand out and it's harder and harder to get results through paid advertising and, you know, click through rates and all that stuff are just, things have gotten noisier. So what words of wisdom do you have for the person who hasn't been around since 2008 watching this whole thing go down, who's just jumping in now wondering like, wait, what? <laughs> What should I be doing? (laughs) You know what's so interesting is if we actually go back to, let's go back to 2006 and 2005. That's that like first wave before the second wave. And you actually look at what those real pioneers were doing in 2004, 2005, 2006. It wasn't paid advertising. It wasn't funnels. It wasn't email marketing. It wasn't any of those things. And so the truth is that actually what worked then is what works now, which is find a human being, talk to (laughs) a human being, see where your zone of genius makes a difference in their life and make a sale because a sale happens from human to human connection and human to human relationship. And that's actually one of the things that, you know, if, if I have a, a bad word to say about the, on, the way that online business has evolved is that what's happened now is that so many people are teaching that the way to get started in business is through all of the things that you just mentioned, but that's not how they got started, right? right? How they got started is human to human, go and make a connection, go and find a human being, talk to them, 
And let's see how we can create something that is of mutual value. Because that's the other thing that gets lost, I think, a lot in the online business conversation is that we think that sales are something that we do to our clients, right? We are going to sell to someone. And usually that someone is a generic someone. It's an avatar or it's something that we have kind of invented. Rather than it being a, another human on the other end, a specific human being that we can say, how can I create value and exchange value with this other human being? And you know what happens, and to take this back to our start of our conversation, is that we get, whether you're at $0 a month, or you're at $20,000 a month, or you're at $80,000 a month, or you're at hundred dollars or $200,000 a month, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. That is still something that, that ethos and that way of thinking of things is still going to be so critical to continued growth. It's about an exchange of value. I am going to receive value in the form of money from you. And in return, you will receive value in terms of a result plus all of these benefits from me. There has to be an exchange of value. And an exchange of value can only happen between two uh, I was going to say two people, but the business can provide value on behalf of a person. Yeah. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. It's, yeah. This is great. Great advice. <laughs> I want the bots to do it. <laughs> can we talk about the bots? What? So, cause I feel like into that, when was the Google slap happen? That was like 2011. Which one? Yeah. Like, it, yeah, there's been a few, but I think the big one was. The big one was there. so. I feel like there was a, there was a time like you talked about is the early piece of when people got started and they were connecting with other human beings. And then it got to a point where it became very automated where I could duplicate websites in 10 minutes, load a ton of copy up to it and sell tons of different products in different industries very fast because of you could game that SEO system within Google. So people were selling everything like one person could sell a hundred different products yeah. and, and make, they were making insane amounts of money and then Google changed their algorithm and shut it all down. Yeah. And so I feel like the gaming of the system has been going on for a while and it would always go on. Right. But it's like, now it's coming back to what this people to people type of business that we're describing or you're describing now. Mm. Now, how does that relate to, like running paid ads now, right? Like creating these SEO, creating all these different products that's still, cause can you still sell online courses? Like, is that something that's going to be selling yeah, what in the do you future? Think about that? <laughs> it's interesting because two years ago now I, I wrote a book, which is very much in the last chapter was what is the future of online courses? You know, plug Beyond Satisfaction. Go find it on Amazon. You can read. Wait, all about it's it. called Beyond Satisfaction. Beyond Satisfaction. Thank Beyond you. Satisfaction. If you want to plug your product, you got to be. You got to sell it. <laughs> Can't rush through it. All right, let's all right. start Beyond, Beyond Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Okay, got it. Thank you. Um, and you know, it, it was exactly what you were just saying, right? It's like we went and first it was eBooks. And then eBooks, you know, were no longer going to be the thing. So then it was eBooks plus the downloads. Like you would get the eBook plus the videos, right? And then the next thing was, okay, now let's call it a course. And in some cases, the content didn't actually change. It was still an eBook plus the videos, but now we're going to call it a course. And then the next thing was, let's call it a group program. And then the next, yada, yada, yada. And so there's two things that I think are going on. Number one is that there is a tendency in this market to rebrand and rename things without actually fundamentally changing what they are, right? So we sell eBooks, then we add some videos. It's a little bit different, but it's still content driven, right? Then we add some, then we add, we're always adding, right? So then we add a group component, we add a coaching component. It's still in its roots, content driven, but now we've got a community base. Now we're going to add in maybe some mentorship. And so we're going to add that on, or we're going to add in a membership or whatever the variation is that you choose. But the economy has been still based very much in information. And you mentioned Derek Halpern that you had, you know, just done the podcast with him. And I mean, that was, that was his experience, right? Was it's, it's still largely, largely content based. And 
the argument that I make in my book, and I think it's still very true, is that the goal, if there has been a customer results goal, which not all people in online business have, let's just make that clear first. Some people are not interested in their clients' results. They just care about how much money they're making. For those that do care about their customers, the metrics that we've been using have been things like completion rate. Completion rate has been the stand-in for satisfaction. How happy are they with the course? Are they getting, you know, are we getting good testimonials? Vanessa Van Edwards once uh, said that I know though that if I get you know, I, I do a, a course or I, I do a workshop and someone says to me afterwards that that was so interesting. I know that was the kiss of death because interesting and satisfaction and completion rates are all not really what our clients and customers are coming to us for. What they're coming to us for is a change in state. They're coming to us for a result and a transformation. And so can you still sell courses or maybe they're called group programs now, or maybe they're called, you know, subscription-based membership sites where we give you a different course every quarter, every month. I mean, there's all these different models that people are calling fundamentally the same value offering, the same delivery, but just a few bells and whistles different. Is that intended to create the happy juices of, oh, I'm doing so good. I'm checking off boxes. I've made it through the content. I watched all the videos. I went to the live calls. Is it promoting a satisfaction or is it promoting a result? And what I have seen shifting over the past few years and what I hope to continue to see shifting is that as the buyers become more sophisticated. And as the market becomes more sophisticated, it's no longer enough to, I think this was um, from Schwartz and Breakthrough Advertising. As the market becomes more sophisticated, it's no longer enough to just have shiny, right? To be different, to have, you know, a new way of delivering or a different this or a different that. You actually have to produce a result. You actually have to create the transformation, create the, you have to deliver the value. And so what I'm seeing happen and, you know, it, 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 honestly, it could go either way. It could go to the point where people accept this kind of greater challenge of saying we have to look at results. We have to take on responsibility for co-creating results. Not personally, we can still do that through a program or a course. There's lots of ways you can do that. The people up in the ivory towers who are studying learning and development, adult learning, they can tell you all day long. I came from that world. They can tell you all day long about how to help adult learners get results. Has nothing to do with content, by the way. Well, I want to know what it has to yeah. do with. So that's the <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll come from there. But you can do it through any one of these vehicles, but you have to start from the place of asking what is actually going to produce a state change, a result, a transformation for the person that I'm working with, whether that's one person at a time or a thousand people at a time. And so I hope that the industry is going to move that way. I can see where there's gonna, there has been and is right now a lot of resistance to that in the market. There's a lot of people who don't want that to be a way it goes. And we have to see what comes out in the wash. I'm always an idealist. I always believe that there's a better way. And so my fervent hope is that the results will carry this industry to a new level and, and to be a place where people don't just come to be parted from their money, but come to be a place where they can actually see true life change. Because I know there are people doing amazing work and that work deserves to be honored, not just inside the online business bubble, but outside of it in the broader world as well. Absolutely. So what are those things that we can do to work with adult learners to yeah. get them results that are not content? Not content. What so, is it? Yeah. <laughs> What's the secret? I wish I could tell you that there was a magic bullet in terms of how you deliver. There was actually a study that was done, which was basically saying that a researcher had tried to figure out what the best like delivery methods were, you know, should you use quizzes? Should you use assignments? Should you use Facebook groups? Should you use like whatever these variables were? And what it came down to is that none of those variables actually 
none of them made a difference, right? They, it wasn't like always, oh, if you do this, then you will get better results. But there are two other studies that I think are really interesting in terms of helping create results for our clients that tell us a lot about what we can do if we decide to go with this course model. The first one comes from Stanford and it was from Stanford Medical School. And, you know, if you think about a first year med student, they, the hardest course that they're going to take is the neuroscience course because the brain, we don't fully understand it. And so we're trying to teach med students how the brain works. It's complicated. We don't fully understand it. It doesn't make sense. And so it's kind of the make it or break it course in med school for a lot of students. It's like, if you can get through first year neuroscience, you can probably make it through the rest of med school. And so they did an experiment, basically, which is they broke the neuroscience class into two groups. The first group had a interactive kind of simulation of the brain. And they weren't really given any instruction about it other than to say, you know, see what happens when you, you know, if you poke at the brain, what lights up over here? If you do this, what happens? So just experiment, cause and effect, see what happens, see what patterns you can find. And the other group was put in a traditional lecture-style classroom learning environment. Textbook, lectures, videos, those kinds of things. And so they had these students go through this experience, and then they did an assessment. So kind of a pre-assessment, post-assessment. They gave them a, a quiz or an evaluation to say, how much have you learned? And the students who had done the hands-on simulation, even though they had not received any actual training, were better prepared for that assessment than those who had gone through the textbook learning. They felt less prepared. They felt less prepared. They're like, oh, I don't think I'm going to do very good on this test because I haven't learned anything. But the truth is that by doing the hands-on, they had actually learned quite a bit more. They did make some false equivalencies. They did get some things where like they saw, thought they saw a pattern, but they didn't. But overall, their performance was much better than textbook learning. Here's what's super cool, though. Then they went and they switched the groups. So those that had started in the classroom went and did the simulation. And those who had started in the simulation went and did the classroom. And I'm just going to ask you, which of those two groups do you think did better? The people who started in, in the, the simulation. simulation. Yep. You're exactly right. Hands-on learning and then they got theory. Yeah, exactly. And it's so backwards because the students themselves had said, I feel like I would have got more out of the simulation if... I had had the theory first. Oh, wow. Right? Because we think we want to like, oh, let me go. Once I've learned the basics, let me go and try it. That's the way we think it should work. But that's not the way it works. And so how do we take that into the context of our courses? The more we can get our people doing things, even if we haven't fully explained it, mm -hmm. the better they will be. They may be less satisfied at first. And this is the difference between satisfaction and results. They may be less satisfied at first, but they will get better results. You know, we've, we've all heard of the Pareto principle and the 80-20 rule. If 80%, yeah, if 80 of your students, of your buyer's time was spent doing, and 20% of their time was spent with you explaining what they had just done and why it did or didn't work, they will get far better results than if you spent 80 of your time teaching them and they spent 20% of their time doing it. That's fascinating. So you just basically, if you're going to create an online course, it's all like what's coming to me right now is just all you do is experiments. And then you do a little bit of just like, this is what happened. And with yeah. it, I'm, I'm going through Russell Brunson's um, third uh, one funnel away challenge right now. And it's 30 <laughs> days. And that's what's happening. Like I can see the way he's teaching this. And that's why he's, you know, he's built a hundred million dollar company in three years, mm -hmm. but it's like, that's exactly what he's doing like in this challenge. Cause now we're on day like five or something, but I have accomplished more in five days. It's like coming up with the idea, coming up with like the opt-in offer and there's some graphics need to be finished, but in five days I have done more than the thought process I have in the last two months. And you know, know part of why that is, is because what happens when you watch a chunk of video or you watch a bunch of content, you go through a bunch of training, you get that dopamine hit of completion. Right. Your brain doesn't know that you haven't actually done right. anything. Yes. It's like, I watched the video. I'm winning. I am right. awesome. And the truth is you haven't done anything, but your brain doesn't know that. And so it lets you off the hook of execution. Mm -hmm. and so every time we set up an experience for our students and you know, for our communities where we give them content first and then say, now go take action. 
we are actually doing them a disservice because we are giving them the opportunity to feel as though they have accomplished something just by watching the video. That's also why the 3% completion rate, you know, for online courses is completely the wrong metric. I would rather have someone only complete the first module of a course and get amazing results from it than watch every video, but have done nothing with it. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So I totally get the neuroscience class example. Can you give an example of somebody maybe who's teaching like business content or more like life content? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the best way, so there's a second study, which I'm going to use to set this up. Great. So this is a second study. Again, it's in a college setting because this is where the research is being done is in yeah. higher education. That's one of the challenges is that that research isn't getting into number one, it's not getting into the classrooms in the colleges or the K to 12, but it's definitely not getting out to us in the entrepreneurial world. And what it was, was they, the instructor, the, the professor was going to be preparing his lessons for the semester. And they did this with a number of professors and all they did was they gave two separate instructions to the, they set up the, you know, you're going to be preparing your curriculum, you know, here's how to do that. The first, they instructed the professors by saying, think about what you want to teach and then create your curriculum based on that. The second, they said, think about what you want your students to do differently and help them do that. So how does this work in the business context? Well, one of the clients that we worked with several years ago was teaching Evernote for small business. So how to use Evernote to organize your business. And she had initially developed this course the way that we all are taught to do, right? Lots of content, lots of material, lots of all this kind of stuff. And as soon as we switched the mental frame from what do you want to teach, which is what had led to this long course, to what do they need to be able to do differently, she was able to say, well, the first thing that they need to be able to do is to identify which systems they're actually even going to put into this Evernote system that they're creating for their business. So that became the first activity. She created an exercise, which is let's go through and figure out what you are going to even systematize. And she walked them through the process of completing that. Then, you know, what's the next thing that they need to do to be successful? The next thing they need to do is, I don't remember what it was, but it was, you know, something very intelligent and and made a whole lot of sense. But what do they need to do next to be able to accomplish this? And the way that that worked practically for her is that literally every module or every lesson within the module started with, I think it was two sentences and it was, you know, spend 15 minutes, you know, writing out this, 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 and answering these questions. And then at the end, once you had done that, then she could come and say, now that you've done that, here are some things to consider. Maybe you want to have you considered this, have you considered that? So you can kind of update your work, make it better, improve it. If you were doing this in a, you know, a course that had a community aspect, great place to have your students show their work and get feedback and be able to teach each other. Because the other thing that comes in is that there's a, there's a laddering that happens in learning. So education, people who have an education background will recognize Bloom's taxonomy. And it basically says that we start just by knowing something. We don't even really understand it. We just kind of know the facts, but we don't understand what it means. E equals MC squared. I can say that, but not really understand it, right? The next level is then that we start to understand it. We start to actually be able to give it meaning. Then we can apply it. So then I might be able to actually use E equals MC squared to calculate something. I can take this and I can apply it with a, you know, to a different context than what I was given it. Then the next level is to be able to analyze it, to be able to assess it and say, now, why does that work? Why does E equals MC squared? Now that I've been able to see that it works, can I analyze why it works? Then the next level is to be able to say, could it work better and evaluate it? Is this the right way to express it? Is it always true? Is there another extension that I could see of this? And the highest level of learning is to be able to create something that hasn't existed before. And that's the highest level of mathematics and physics in this example. You can only do that if you've gone through the process of knowing and understanding and applying and analyzing and evaluating and creating. 
in a business context, in a life coaching context, it's the same thing. What do your students need to know and understand? How can they apply that? That's the activity section, right? Give them just enough knowing and understanding so that they can apply. Then invite them to analyze, to assess, break it down. Say, what did you actually do here? Why did that work or not? Allow them to evaluate what worked, what didn't. Would you like to change it? You've done this experiment. Let's iterate on it. That's what's going to enable them and empower them to be able to create something new. That's the level that the transformation happens. Results happen as soon as you start applying, right? If you're doing the work and the work works, you will get the result. The higher level that I think we can be called to is to not only just stop and give people things to apply, but tend to also be able to teach them to analyze it, to be able to evaluate so that then they can create on their own and it becomes part of who they are. It becomes part of how they show up in the world. So it's no longer just a collection of exercises. Now it's part of the way that their brain and their spirit and, and all of that is operating. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm going to, everything you. you just said, I'm going to summarize really quickly for everyone. Do it. Just, uh, all you have to think about for those of you that have not watched Marie, Con- what's her name? Tidying up. Tidying up. Marie yeah. Kondo. Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo speaks Japanese. All of her clients are English. You know, they speak English on Netflix show. All she does is go in there, says, clean up this room, take all of your clothes, put them on a bed and sort voices, what's joy. And then she leaves. It's true. You know, like it is so simple. So like when you're creating your content for your people, your, all your clients is just think about that. It's like, because you don't need to explain a ton of theory about why you should clean up. All you have to do is look and be like, your closet's too many clothes, right? You just look and that feel doesn't feel good. And then you put it all on the bed and you're like, oh, wow, I have too much stuff. Yeah. You know, and it's like just that simple, like this is, this is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah. I took so many notes while you were talking. Because it's also good for like us because that's Kate, why I took so many. I, know. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but I'm saying for me, this is when I help my clients, you know, this is what I do. Yeah. Like it's, it's first thing we work on is financials. So it's like, what are your finances? Like, that's the question. I don't need to yeah. explain to no. you. They'll be like, well, I don't know. I haven't finished. I'm like, it is July of 2018 and you haven't done your 2017 books yet. Like, let's get yeah. like, okay, you know, that's a problem. Right. But for Kate, but there's no shaming about it. No, correct. There's no shit. No, no, no. I'm not sure. But the first step is to take action. That's correct. To do something so the first with step it. is let's figure out what your numbers were for 2017. Yep. So because we're not going to work on anything else in your business until your numbers or your money squared away. Right. But for Kate, she is a massive content producer, mm-hmm. right? So it's very easy to just be like, give me 20,000 pages on what would be the, you know, or, and so it's really interesting to how this, cause instead of the theory first, it's just get the results and then done. I'm, I mean, my mind is blown right now. I'm so grateful that you just shared that research with us and I can think of so many examples where that's true in my life and with what I've learned in business. I mean, yeah, like I'm thinking about going through Amy Porterfield's webinar course, for example, which was immensely helpful for us or for me. Phenomenal (laughs) teacher. She's such a good teacher. And the reason it was so phenomenal for me and the reason I've never needed to revisit the course is that I was going through it a couple weeks before we were launching our first webinar, whatever funnel, I don't know what you would call it. Just like thing. I'd never done one before really. And so she would teach the thing. I would pause the video and like implement it. Cause we had a launch coming up like in two weeks. And so I just needed to get it done. And I remember it really well. And I've been able to apply it over and over and over again because I applied it the first time as she was teaching. So and, and what that does to take this way back to the start of the conversation is because now you're actually thinking about the actual human experience of going through this. Right. What happens is, you know, this is the difference between a book and a learning experience. Books are content. And let's be honest, the, the amount of results that a book creates is very small in proportion or in comparison to the amount of result that working with a mentor or you know, taking a course or something where you actually do it. Right. This is why the four hour work week sold so much. Yep. Because his yep. book is so much result. Like it's all result. It's yeah. It's a lot of exercises. It's yeah. a lot of like, a lot of take this and apply it. And right. it is also a fascinating theory. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's also funny, you know, yeah, but, but yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when you take this and then you, I mean, the best way to develop a course from my view and my perspective, number one, don't do it. If you've never worked with clients before, go and work with people one-on-one in exactly the way, what is coaching by the way, and consulting, if not exactly what we're talking about, mm-hmm. which is get people to do something and then debrief afterwards to figure out what worked and what didn't. Right. Ideally, this is what a, you know, a group program or a group experience looks like in a lot of cases too, which is go do the work. Maybe you need to have a little bit of context to get that baseline of knowing and understanding, maybe some terminology they need to understand, or just some concepts that they can actually do the application. They go and do the application. And then you start to say, where are you stuck? What's not working? What are your challenges? That's the place where we can then inject content to help people, you know, like with that neuroscience example that we talked about, they gave the lecture after to correct any misconceptions and to help them put the pieces, you know, kind of lock everything into place. That then becomes our opportunity is first, we engage with them as humans to see what they, humans are smart. We can do a lot of stuff and figure a lot of stuff out if we're pointed in the right direction. The job then of us as the expert, as the guide of the mentor of the, you know, person who is helping to, to co-create that result is to view it as a co-creation of the result. You've been able to come this far. Now let me contribute to that, my genius, my perspective, my expertise, my view, and together we can take that result and multiply it beyond what you would have been able to do on your own. But both parties have to come to the table and offer something. They have to offer their experience. You have to offer your experience in order to create that truly unique human result at the end because my result going through a program should not be identical, not be a formula to someone else's experience because we are different people. We are coming in from different places. We should end up at different places, both getting the results that we seek and respecting that we are individual human beings, not just numbers that are going through a faceless process. Awesome. Hmm. So here we are. It's the beginning of 2019. More and more people are still coming online, right? Like, you know, things continue to shift. But the dream remains, right? This dream of, for, and, and listen, like Mike and I, you know, I mean, at the, at the risk of sounding like a total cheese ball, we are living the dream in many ways, right? Like we earn, our, we have a seven-figure online, we're living our dream. We have a seven-figure online company that we built from scratch. We're able to take time off when we want. You know, we work from home, kind of like in and about wherever, integrate with our kids, and it's great. That being said, things are shifting and we are aware and we're looking ahead, which is why part of the reason we're having this conversation. Um, and we also, you know, we've, we started from day one, like caring really deeply about making a difference in people's lives, not just making money though. You can do both, obviously. Yes. The best way is to do both. The best way is to do both. Yes. So I would like to know, I think you've covered this, but just kind of like, as we bring it home, what would you like to see as people are either evolving their online businesses or starting online in the first place? What would you like to see in terms of behavior and ideals being expressed? I'm really glad you asked that question because this has just been the thing that is, is driving me every day when I, you know, get on a call with a client or I'm doing whatever I happen to be doing in, in the business or out. I mean, I think I mentioned it before. My life's philosophy is that there's always a better way. And the way that I express that life's philosophy is through the work that we do you know, with our clients and with their businesses. And what's really been laid on my heart, maybe is kind of a cheesy way to say it, but it's, it's the phrase that feels right, is that, you know, there is an opportunity for the online entrepreneurs to not just settle for creating changes in the online entrepreneurship industry and for people who are aware of our work and who, you know, they've heard of life coaching and they've heard of, you know, freelancing. And, and, and these are, there's a large group of people for whom these things aren't even part of their, their awareness, right? We're, we're very much inside a bubble. Totally. And for me, there is, for some, not for all, but for some, I believe that we are being called 
to take what good we have learned to create for ourselves in terms of the money, the freedom, and the impact, and to be able to turn that into the start and the foundation of what I would call that six star out of five star change-making company. And what that means, maybe, I mean, what that means is going to be different for each individual. You know, with, with our work, we've established what it means to get to five stars. We have a criteria for our clients that we want them to reach to get to five stars. And those are benchmarks in the areas of, you know, what do your finances look like? What do you, what do your books look like? You know, we were talking about, are you profitable? Are you paying people not just, you know, a living wage, but an appropriate wage for the amount of work that they're doing? What does your client experience look like? Are you getting results for 80% or more of your clients who come to you? What does your team look like? Or have you assembled a cast of helpers around you? Or have you got a team that is moving forward this vision together? And oh, by the way, what is that vision? How do you see this world changing as a result of what you are doing? And how do you show up in relation to that as the founder? How does your job shift when you are not the business anymore, but you instead have and own a business? We get those things in place because that frees the businesses up to pursue the sixth star, to be able to say, how can I go and look at all the things that are wrong in corporate America or corporate Canada or corporate wherever you are, all the stuff that's wrong with how business is working right now, and how can we change that and do it right and better in our business? How can we look at how employees are treated in the general world out there? And how can we make sure that our company is a place that people beg to work for because we are so, you know, we are, we are exchanging in value with our team members and we are creating more together. How can we create a company that is known for not just getting average results for some people, but how can we make sure that we are getting extraordinary results for everyone so that people beg to be our clients and they beg to work with us? How can we be the standard bearers for a new and different and better way of doing business, of being a company, of creating change that doesn't just affect this online business industry, but actually helps move the global economy in a way that lifts all of us up? How can we take values like diversity, values like equality, values, you know, all of those things that are so relevant in the conversation that's going on right now? And how can we embed those and infuse those into the DNA of our companies so that we are always pursuing the better way? So we're not just talking about these things, but we are living them and actually creating the changes, being the change that we want to see in the world. That's what my heart is driven by, is creating that kind of business, six star out of five star business. You never reach the sixth star. You're always in pursuit of a better way. That's what lights me up right now. (laughs) <laughs> that was great. It's clear. Thank you. <laughs> so good. That was so good. Well, I am just, I'm overjoyed that we had this conversation. Honestly, I think it's going to be like a pivotal moment for me personally, and I know our listeners for sure. So how can people get in touch with you or connect with your work? Yeah, I'm always happy to connect with people. As we've been talking about, connection is so, so big. Um, there's basically two places that you can go. If you're more of the reading type, you can head on over to our website, which is mnibconsulting.com. We've got some articles and that kind of stuff there. What does MNIB stand for? That is a question from when I way back started my business and I didn't know what to call it because I didn't know I was actually starting a business. I thought I was just doing some freelancing stuff as so many people did. So I was like, what am I going to call my business? I don't even really know what I'm going to be doing. Well, I know the thing that will never change is my name. So MNIB stands for my name is Brianne, which is my first web URL. It was mynameisbrianne.com. If you type that in, you will still get redirected, but it's no longer, the company is no longer me. And so it's now MNIB Consulting. So if you're a reader, you can head to mnibconsulting.com and read some stuff there. And if you're more of a watcher, talker, you know, audio visual type of person, just come on over to Facebook, look us up there, MNIB Consulting. And on our Facebook page, you know, I, we've got some lives. There's some written stuff there too. You can always send us a message and connect 
you know, I'm a definite, like, send me a Facebook message. I'm happy to chat back and forth kind of thing. Like Kate, you were saying that's like your happy place is like getting in the comments with people. My happy place is like connecting with people over text and that kind of thing. So I'm always happy to make those connections. That's great. Thank you so much. This has been just really awesome. helpful. <laughs> it's really, just really helpful. And I, I want to honor you and appreciate you for not like I'm privy to every single conversation going on in the, on the internet, but like I talk to my internet friends a lot and this particular conversation is not being had other places that I've heard of. So I just want to thank you for pioneering in that Uh, way. I appreciate that. And I just want to encourage anyone who wants to be part of this message and who knows that it's not being heard, pick up this torch. Let's do this together because this is a change we can make. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. So good. Hey there, if you're interested in growing your existing online business or starting a business online or taking your existing business online, then head over to katenorthrup.com forward slash b-school. The resources there are only up for the month of February and you don't want to miss out because this only comes around once a year. katenorthrup.com forward slash b-school.